Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Break free from the forces holding you back. Get the life you deserve. Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, decrease depression, and start living your full potential. Thousands have used Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory, an evidence-based behavioral health breakthrough with incredible life-changing results. Getting rid of past trauma, having fulfilling relationships, increasing earnings, and living their best life. Now, the Fujian app is available to everyone. The app is Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory in the palm of your hand. Download the Fujian app today. Do you wish to wake up one day and hit the Life Reset button? Life Reset, the awareness integration path to create the life you want by Dr. Fujian Zane, helps you navigate crucial life areas, heal the past traumas, and cultivate fulfilling relationships and careers. Life Reset is your guide to a profound journey to reshape your life. Grab your copy on Amazon or Audible now and embark on a path to a more joyous and fulfilled life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Podcast, a heartfelt chat with my guests and you beautiful listeners and viewers. I'm Dr. Fujian Zain. I'm a psychotherapist and author and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And it's so great to be with all of you. I really urge you to go ahead and get the Fujian app. Uh, we've cut the price from since January. It's um, an amazing app. We're finding 60%, almost 60% benefit and improvement in every single um, area of your life. We've got all these 30 areas of life for you to do, go through a journal, guided journaling about really looking at who you are and uh, what makes you tick what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and how to be a success in every single area of your life. So Fujana, don't forget, all right? If you want to know more about the awareness integration theory, if uh, you're a therapist and you want to be certified, be sure to contact me at awarenessintegrationinstitute at um, gmail.com. I want to share with you all of the new uh, courses that are coming up. And I love to share all of awareness integration theory with all of you in different formats. Now, in this episode, I chat with Jonathan Deyo. He is a, look at this. He is a Lutheran seminarian turned Buddhist academic turned financial advisor. So we have the wisdom, practicality, and he's going to tell us how we create a mindful way of being with our finances. He's been investing for over four decades, meditating for 25 years, I suppose. Um, Jonathan DeYo started managing investments for clients at Wall Street firms before launching his own financial planning firm in 2001. After 20 years, Jonathan merged his firm into the national financial planning firm, EP Wealth. Today, Jonathan is a senior VP and a partner at EP Wealth, and his mindful money organization is focused on financial education and coaching for folks who don't have access to traditional advice. You want more information? You can get it at mindful.money. You heard it, mindful.money. We spoke about 
how to be mindful. What are some of the thought processes? What are some of the belief uh, processes that shows up and doesn't let you move forward? How can you be safe? How can you um, invest in a way that you, you know you could assure the planning? So he goes through and explains and he just makes us feel right and protected in a sense. So I hope that you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Subscribe to this podcast. My podcast is... Um, just, just, you know, go rate it and subscribe to it. So you'll know every week as, um, you know, my guests come in, um, subscribe on my two YouTube channel and connect with me through my website, fujanzain.com or any of my social media. I really, really love to hear from you. So, um, tell me your comments, tell me if there are specific topics you want me to, uh, bring in guests or for myself to talk. If you have asked questions, any of those, I love to hear from you. So without further ado, here's Jonathan Tia. Intentional Parenting, a practical guide to awareness integration theory, written by Dr. Jafari, Dr. Fujan Zain, and Dr. Manukian, three expert in human development, is your step-by-step -step guide to raising a healthy child prepared for a culturally integrated world. We're supported in parenting infants to adolescents using the latest evidence-based scientific research on parenting. Order your copy on Amazon now. Welcome to the show, Jonathan Dio. It's nice to have you. Dr. Pujan, it's nice to be here. Well, we're going to be talking about mindful investing. So there's two layers in here that um, is in your book, Mindful Investing, Right Focus, Better Outcome, and Create Well-Being. Um, just to share with you, I had no idea about investing. So what I had done was I would make money and I would make sure that I would spend every cent of that money that I got. It was, you know, it was like an itch. Like if it was in my bank account, it had to go away. I had to buy something. I had to do something with it until I actually aged. So around 40s was the first time and I'm like, I think my energy is not as much as I thought it was going to be, you know, all the time as my 20s and 30s. And what am I doing? Like, so maybe someday I actually want to retire. So obviously I should be thinking about all of this. Then it was like, but I want to, you know, I want to be free. And then it was always like, but I want to do all this stuff and I won't have enough money. And it was all of these thought processes that were there before even I even looked at how can I invest and what would investments be and um, you know, it was like this shift that I had to actually make. And then I remember at one point, I'm like, where's my money going? And I did this thing of like almost three months of sitting down and looking at where do I spend? Uh, because I kept saying, I don't have enough money to save or invest or any of it. And then I realized I was spending something like 400 to $500 per month just on Starbucks. And if you ask me, um, Jonathan, like how much do you spend for coffee? I'm like, like $7, $10. I was shocked. I was just shocked being aware of myself and my habits. And that shifted into if I, if I'm spending $500 and I'm not even realizing it, 
maybe I should take it off in a way that I don't realize it because obviously I'm not realizing it. So that's how my journey even began with this concept of a two by four hitting my head. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I may, you know, start this process. So tell me about your journey and what got you into this field and then wanting to write a book and all of it. So first, I mean, first of all, your the, the comment that I really wasn't aware or thinking about money until 40, that that's just kind of human. That's that's normal. That's nothing to be ashamed of. That's I think I run across that more than anything else. So my journey is um it, people think it's really interesting uh, because I went from studying comparative religion. I was a Lutheran seminarian studying comparative religion to studying specifically Buddhist phenomenology, going deep into the academic structure of the Abhidharma and studying Tibetan Buddhism. And I learned how to translate Tibetan texts. And I did that. And then I became a broker on Wall Street. And people go like, what? How does that like compute? Uh, but really, it's a it's kind of a full arc. When I was a kid, I was really interested in money because we didn't have any. So I spent some time in like my local broker's office, downtown Rapid City, South Dakota, and I would study value line research, trying to figure out, you know, how do I how do I make some money in this thing called the market and how do I understand the market? This is when I'm nine or 10 years old, right? So after doing that, I, I went to school actually to study finance, got really, really, really bored with studying finance and went into philosophy that led to theology, that led to comparative religion, that led to Buddhism. But then I dropped out. My first wife said, okay, it's my turn to go to school. You've gone to school long enough. It's my turn. I was like, all right, that seems fair. So I dropped out and there's nothing you can really do <laughs> dropping out of a seminary program. There's no job for that. So, you know, I went, I went to the thing that I was interested in early on and I started studying uh, to become a broker and I was a broker for five years before I started my own company. Um, and the arc, I didn't actually, so that was 2001. I didn't actually combine uh, the, the mindfulness with the money until 2000, probably 12 or 13, coming out of the Great Recession, thinking about people's responses to that very difficult financial time. And this noticing that people did things to themselves through that time that weren't good for them, that wasn't good for them. Um, uh, and, and realizing that the reason they did the things is because there's deep emotions around there. And then noticing that, hey, if people were more mindful, they would react differently to the stimulus coming from outside. And that mindfulness helps us with the emotional stuff. And with money, there's a lot of emotional stuff. So that's where I started putting those things together. First book was 2017. Second book, the one we're going to talk about today was uh, published in 2023. Yes, I uh, developed a new psychology model, uh, awareness integration, and I um, I teach across Cal State Long Beach, and one of the courses is called Mental Health and Well-Being, and I bring um, this, you know, my modules in there, and one of them is about money, like your relationship with money. It is amazing, especially, you know, college students are between like, let's say 18 until like 25, 26, and there's some late bloomers there. Um, every single one of them, as they do this journaling and, and start looking at the value of money is like, we have no idea what that value is, especially as we're growing up, because our parents are offering it to us, whether they have it or they don't, whatever it is, we have a ceiling, we have a, a thought process, we have belief systems that are so strong around either earning or spending, saving, which come from our family 
concepts. Now, someone, for example, where you were sharing, if I if I come from not wealth, I might continue with that as a ceiling, or I might say, I break the habit and say, I don't like this and I want to make it another way. But there's so much beliefs around this idea of money. And I've noticed, like, as they go through this concept with my work, and I'm sure your work is, you know, you're going to talk about how you bring people to that mindfulness is um, many of them after that is like, oh, I started my job. Now I look at every dollar I make and then I want to spend it as how many hours do I have to work in order to purchase this? And then do I really need this or not? So it's almost like how different it it became. Or when I became mindful of what I was doing, then I was realizing that, okay, my brain needs tricking. I need to trick my brain as there's no, you know, I'm going to give you other ways of not seeing what's available because when you see what's available, you want to spend. So I'm going to do it in other structure. So there's so much into this mindful concept of watching what you do, your habitual and your belief systems, which is the first thing, the primary concept. Absolutely. I mean, that's the... uh, uh, if, if people don't do the work, like I think your work, like you you work with people, you, you chat with people from a therapy and they have issues and how do you resolve those issues and you, you unpack their belief systems. And it's not just the belief systems we get from our parents. Like we take in information from our culture. And today, I mean, social media is the thing that we should have more of and be more of. And so it, that message hits us 24 seven, all day, every single day. Facebook, pick your pick your social media. You know, we, we should have more money. We should have a better job. We should have a better spouse. We should have, you know, our kids should be more well behaved. This just all these things that we could do that would be would be better, uh, better, 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 better. But if we don't ever go internally and think about what we want, what's important to us, then we're just going to be pulled by all these messages, by the by the lessons we learned at the you know at the knees of our parents and grandparents, by the stories we're hearing from our culture by what our neighbor's doing, by what our father and sister and brother-in-laws are doing, what what all, what all the people that are around us are doing, that's going to make us think that we should be doing that. So we have to first start with this, who am I? W- what do I want? And then you can build a plan on top of that. And that's that was really the message in the first book. The first book was, um, the first section was about what are the beliefs that we have about money that just aren't true? What are those 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 things that the culture tells us that people tell us that doesn't that's not helpful? And then and then what are the things that are really true? Like what are the things that we can do in our lives to make us happy? The things we know, like gratitude and and generosity and and sort of being our authentic selves and actually pursuing goals that mean something to us and and these kinds of things. And then the last part of the third of the first book was how do we build a plan to make that work uh, on top of what we now know as the stuff that makes us happy or gives us well-being. Um, so that that was that was the arc of the first book. And the second book, Mindful Investing, is really talking about the very specific piece of the emotions around investing and how mindfulness can help with those emotions. And what kind of emotions have you noticed that are uh, popping up all the time? The ones that I have uh, experienced through myself and other people, you know, especially this shows up a lot in marriages. There's a lot of fights around money and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of fights around investment of money, which Mm -hmm. happens among couples, which I, you know, consistently I'm part of the mediator and the negotiator for them. 
fear um, is the, and then this concept of the mind, the mindset of scarcity that shows mm. up with the fear, and then the mindset of like the abundance, and the abundance can work both ways. It could be the abundance, you know, you hold the space of abundance and the trust that you know you do what you need to do and the world will you know show up and and there's enough for everyone or uh you know the, there's this concept of irresponsibility where it's like oh i'll be there all oh, everything will show up don't worry about it just spend anyway so you can see these two concepts of scarcity and and abundance coming together a lot of times and how it could, you know, with the mindfulness, how it could flourish to work for your life, or it could really hold you back and have consequences. Can you share about some of these emotions and ideas or thought processes that could be limiting or it could be um, forwarding in a sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, it's, I probably deal less with the couple's issue than, than you do. Um, uh, but still, I, I do have clients that say, Jonathan, we, we, we need you to put your therapist hat on now for a second because she wants this and he wants that, right? And they're two different things. So it's, it's interesting when you go through this process of financial planning, the reason most people are afraid about their money is because they haven't mapped out a what they want b the path towards getting it uh, or c what what are the what are the activities they can or can't do that would you know make them have to remap it right so they haven't they haven't actually done that work and so now they're worried and they're they're anxious and they have their fears around the things because they haven't done the work once we do the work and start having these conversations with clients we talk to somebody okay you want to retire then, but you expect your spouse to keep working for five years. How is that? You know, please talk through that. How does that work? Um, you you want to buy a boat, but then that means you have to you have to retire three years later. Can you talk through that? How that's going to work? So we talk through all the trade offs, and a lot of the trade offs are interpersonal trade offs. You can have this thing, but that means I can't have this thing. But I love you, so I want you to have that thing, and I'm willing to sacrifice this thing. We bring all this stuff above board. Once you do financial planning, you're actually working with two people's goals and two people's sets of fears, uh, and you're trying to work through looking forward, giving them the chance to sort of pre-experience what it would be like for me to get what I'd like and for my spouse to get what they'd like. And when we realize we don't have enough resources for everyone to get what they like, I'll have to give some up she'll have to give some up and that's okay if that's fine as long as we're doing it above board if we don't see it we haven't thought it through and it's all underneath the rug then we have fights we have problems we have issues that come up uh and and we don't know how to deal with those because we've never done the original work so i actually think specifically in the couples um, uh, space doing the planning work solves so many problems or or prevents those problems from becoming problems to begin with the, the emotion I usually see comes from not understanding how markets work and being afraid of markets or being afraid of investing or being afraid of making the wrong decision or not knowing who you can trust or, you know, and, and that's our culture teaches nothing about money, nothing practical about money. We teach you how to spend. We teach you you should spend more. And we send that message, spend more, spend more. That's how you get happy. We know that's not true, but that's the message we get. So the fear around the lack of knowledge around money is I think that's that's the, that's where we begin to be educate, 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 educate. And then we plan, 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 plan. And that really gets rid of most of the you know anxiety around around money. 
Um, when you said that about planning, um, I realized that this happened for me. I, it happened for a lot of the clients where, you know, we've created a path of earning money in a particular way. So we have created rituals or plannings and all of that. And then we have this idea that we want to get into, but then the idea appears more like a fantasy concept versus a goal. So because it hasn't been routed, like from how are you going to get from the point you are to that fantasy that you have or the planning you have, mm -hmm. which you were talking about, like, I want to retire at this time and this is what I want to have, but this is where I am. And how am I going to get from here to there? And there's a lot of frustration when there's this realization of what I'm saying I want to have. It looks more like a fantasy versus an actual goal because I haven't walked through, I haven't planned through from here where I'm going to be. And then where I say I'm going to be, if I'm going to be alive another 20, 30 years after that, how is that going to happen? So it's like if I'm going to have a retirement and then I'm going to hope that I'm going to have the same lifestyle that I have today as I'm earning money in my uh, retirement, then obviously I have to be earning the same amount of money on a passive level. Then how's that going to get created? So there's a lot of ide ideas which like we have, we envision, and it's a wish. And how that wish is going to actually happen, it takes like you said, planning, it takes reality. It takes like, what are these steps? What are differences, you know, things that I have to do in order to be able to get there? Um, is that what you also experience a lot with this wishful thinking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, yes, there's a lot of wishful thinking, but the, what you're saying actually brings up two really important things for me. One is we have a lot of shame around our current financial scenarios. So much shame, in fact, that many people don't even, they won't look at their finances because they feel they're too far behind. They feel like they can never catch up. They feel like they, so what we like to, we like to remove the shame. There's no shame. Like I, I have liquidated a 401k to invest in a business that failed. I have made so many really horrible financial decisions and, and I'm, you know, Theoretically, I'm a professional at this. And and before I was like this developed in it, I, I made all kinds of mistakes. And I meet all kinds of people that make all kinds of mistakes. The beauty of this, and especially if you're talking to millennials or Gen Z who seem to be struggling a lot, the beauty, and I just, I cannot hit this hard enough. We're all becoming like, just this is where you are. That's okay. Where do you want to go? What are the steps? No shame, no shame at all. Where do you want to go? What are the things you need to do today to get there? That's it. Start where you are. It's a beautiful thing. You, you've done everything you can. I, I trust that that you've you've made some good decisions and some bad decisions, and and some bad stuff has happened to you, and it's it's not fair and all that. And what can you do today from where you are to make it better tomorrow and next week and next month and next year? Just allow yourself to become. And if you're young, if you're 30 and you're 40, you know what? We were all there. Like we were there. We made the mistakes. Um, we, we did our best and we got better. And you will too. Everyone gets better and allow that to happen. Don't be, don't have any shame about where you are. So one aspect of it is the really looking at the emotions. And you can see in the mindful investing, right focus, better outcome, 
and uh, Greater Wellbeing by Jonathan Dio. Uh, beyond uh, the concept of the, um, I want us to go to through the concept of the mindfulness where beyond going through um, the emotions and you, you also talked about the belief systems and you talked about, um, you know, how you look at where you are and if the way you're looking at where you are is painful because you're adding these type of emotions and adding these type of um, thought processes to it and all of that is to become clear about those, right? And the clarity that you get through your mindful mindfulness um, puts you at ease, puts you in a, in, in a realistic place where you are. And then you can kind of detach from some of these negative pieces where kind of you're attaching it to yourself. Um, and then, and then I hear from you, which is like envisioning tomorrow. What do you want to be? What, what, what is it you're going to look like? And then you do a little bit of reality check with where they want to be. And then you start, and then the planning is to get you from where you are today to where you want to be. Is that, do I get that right? You're spot on. Absolutely. Okay. Now let's go into the essence of the fear you talked about investing alone, because obviously there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of real basis of investment. And yet just based on reality, it could get, um, up or down or cycles will change and shift. And so there's one aspect of what you're going to do and what you have control over, which is how much money and where you invest. And then there's all these other pieces where you don't have control over and you kind of like co-create as the world goes forward. And, you know, you ride the waves the best as you know. And then, you know, if you're working with a professional, they're a little bit more of a predictors of the wave and they'll get surprised sometimes, but at least, you know, they've done this for so many long, they've gone through the ups and downs. There's also this other angle, which I've been privy to and many people, it's that there's also the, all of these investments and investment packages and products and all of that, which there's so many, um, you know, a fine line, um conditions around and fees and this and that that at one point after you know you were there for five and six years and nothing is happening and you're looking at like is this really uh the best way of investing and how come when i was being how, how come when i was being shared by that i wasn't knowing all of those like fine lines which five years from now uh, it, it seems like if i had put my money just in a uh, bank, it would at least stay the same, even if it went 1% higher, but because of all the unforeseen other ways of, you know, not market going up and down, but the fees structures and all of that, that what it was taken was so much more that it, it, it could at any point be given to it. So there's a, there's also beside who I am, there's so many things out there that I have to actually get to know and make sure that I don't put myself in a position that really, um, you know, it's it's not beneficial to my life. So there, there's so much there uh, to, to, to unpack. One of the reasons I wrote the book, so I, I, a couple of things. First, nobody knows what's happening tomorrow. Advisors don't know it. Portfolio managers don't know it. Nobody knows. 
So that's the first thing to understand is no one has any facts about the future. Everyone's guessing. Everyone has an idea. Everyone try to, tries to invest based on their pursuit of that idea. When you look at thousands of people that are investing based on the pursuit of that idea and you put them on a graph, what you discover is over a one-year period, maybe 60% of them are right. Over a five-year period, maybe it's 50%. Over a 10-year period, maybe it's 30%. Over a 20-year period, it's about 5%. So the longer you commit to trying to be right about timing the market or picking the right investments, the lower the probability that you will win. So rule number one, nobody knows, stop predicting, right? It's impossible to predict. No one can predict. Stop trying it. So the second thing um, is that that should free you up. That enables you to buy those little, those very inexpensive index-based products, the things that you buy all the S&P 500 or all the Russell 3000 or all the all-country world index. You just buy the index and you hold on to that. When you have money, you add more. When you need money, you take some out. You don't try to time it. You don't try to figure that out. If you do that, you'll outperform the vast majority of your peers, you'll outperform the money managers, you'll outperform the people like me who are advisors because you won't be paying any fees at all. It turns out the one indicator that determines that's um, the, the, the indicator that determines your success more than any other indicator is the cost of the tools you are using. The more expensive the cost of the tool, the lower the outcome. Right? The less expensive the cost of the tool, the higher the outcome. So that's really, really important to understand as well. Rule number two is you know, really maintain low costs. The thing that an advisor can do or a, or a money coach can do is give you confidence in something that you're not confident about, right? Um, and it's difficult to build confidence in your market and your, in your portfolio beliefs. If someone could read my book, my, the book costs $14. If you read the book, there's a list of potential investments in the back. I tell you how to build a portfolio. And if, you, if, if that book gave you confidence, you wouldn't need me ever again. Um, and that's great. That's awesome. That's why I wrote the book. But there's people that need more feedback. Hey, want to be able to ask questions. Uh, and that's why we have the coaching programs. And then there's people who say, hey, I want someone else to do this for me. And that's why I have an advisory practice, right? So there's, there's lots of ways to help people. And it's what people need to get there. But it's the confidence in the portfolio and the desire and the ability to stick with that portfolio, specifically when it's uncomfortable, that creates success. No matter how you invest, markets are going to hurt you. Markets are going to eventually go down. You're going to have a 30% loss. It's going to happen. I promise it's going to happen. There's no way to avoid it. Trying to avoid it reduces your long-term returns. In order to get the great benefits of equities and owning the great businesses of the US and the world, you have to sit still, sit on your hands, do nothing when things fall apart. That requires either a deep confidence in your own portfolio or some coaching or some advising. And that's, you know, that's the best we can do. I've been, you know, working with people who they want to do the day trading and some <laughs> of it happens and goes into um, a, an addiction. I've had people who've lost their life. Uh, you know, we've worked together where they've lost major angles of, you know, uh, their investments and um, and yet is one of those things that people kind of strive toward, you know, is as if I'm going to have the control, you know, it's a, it's a good gambling concept. Um, any suggestions based on all these years that you've had in this, you know, kind of like mindful investing um, in how does, you know, if you've known, if they've read your book, if they've 
began creating confidence and they're utilizing that confidence in um in day trading um how does that work that you know because i've i've seen that confidence work for some people where they you know they were good at math and they were good at predictions and they were good at they were a good loser like i'm not that's why I don't gamble. I'm just, you know, I'm a very sore loser. I get very upset with myself if I lose. So this obviously doesn't work. But if if somebody figures, ah, it's okay, I lost them, I gained them, and I'll do that. But then I've also had, you know, people say to their friends, like, don't worry about it. I'll tell you that, you know, I'll teach you. And they've lost half of their life or a lot of their investment. What would be your suggestion about how should they look at who they are, their character? How do they, you know, should they observe themselves and that type of a personality, how could they do something safer for themselves? So, I mean, at the end of the day, the person that's the day trader doesn't come to someone like me. Um, the problem, I think, that the person's a day trader faces, and you you know this, right? Um, the human mind is just, we're, we're filled with biases. We're filled with, you know, these beliefs that, um, make us think that we're special or we're smart or we're, you know, we, we like to build ourselves up psychologically. And we like to, when someone else has a problem, that's their problem. When we have a problem, that's somebody, somebody else created that problem. And that there's this, there's this thing that happens this way. So it is totally possible. I know people have done it um, to trade for a short period of time and make a whole bunch of money. The problem with that is when you do that, that creates the psychological belief that you're smart not that you got lucky. The reality is, and there's, there is, I mean, there are reams of, of federal, you know, research on this, academic research on this. There are, there is tons and tons and tons and tons of studies into this. And what they find is people that do really, really well trading, picking stocks, timing markets, they do it. They do really well for two, three years, because the thing that they're really interested in is really important for that two or three years. But then just right after that, they fail to do well, they lose the money they made, and they end up behind where they would have been. So when I said earlier that the longer you pursue this day trading thing or the timing market thing or the you know trying to pick better investments thing, the longer you do that, the lower the probability that you will be successful. That's really important to understand. So I can't change someone's belief system around that. I can tell you that if someone comes to me and says, hey, I just had a a great year. I was trading. I picked the right two stocks. I just made a whole bunch of money. I'd be like, great, cash out, diversify that, and then and then go about do something else. Don't keep trading because you're going to hurt yourself. And if I say that, they're going to be like, oh, Jonathan doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, this guy's he's a he's still conservative. He's he's the, you know he, it's not for me. Like I can do this, and they're going to think I'm going to be attacking their ego. And I'm just looking at the academic research that says no. Uh, ego is a problem with investing. Best to just check your ego, um, have some humility, do something that's simple, and it will work better. You'll get a better outcome financially, you have more well-being. You won't be so worried about financial markets and politics and everything that affects those kinds of things. Yes. One of the um, suggestions that I also give uh, some of my clients who are just eager to do this is like, you want play money, you know, okay, you have investments, put put the right investment. There's a difference between play money and investment. And it's like, if we could separate those pieces, which is, can you do smart investments in a little bit of low risk where 
you know, it could be there for you. And then you can always say, you know, I'll take this percentage. You know how, like we say, I take this percentage and do a savings. Can you do this percentage? And that's your play money. And if you wanted to play, instead of going to a casino playing, you want to do it in a day trade, you know, play money. That's your play money. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, okay, I've got so much. And it's like, okay, can you take a percentage of what you got and turn it to the other side again? And then keep your play money and just play. So that at least gives you a little bit more of, you know, taking care of both sides of you in, in that way. So, but knowing that, you know, it's still a form of gambling that there's always, a, you know, loose concept. In your book, you say there are three steps and only three steps to personal financial success. They're planning, thinking it through, evidence-based, simple, mindful investing, and mindful patience, non-judgmental persistence in the face of unknown. Can you share a little bit about the mindful patience, please? So, yeah, I mean, it, the, the reality is um, equities outperform. Great businesses in the United States and the world outperform. We call those, you know, popularly those called equities or stocks or shares, right? Great businesses outperform fixed income and over long periods of time. The problem is they don't do that over every period of time. So you have to you have to sit on your hands when it's not outperforming so that you can enjoy the outperformance over the long period. The problem and the challenge is we live in the short term. We live in the media cycle. We live with 24-hour news cycle throwing stuff at us all the time, all the things we should be afraid of, all the things we should be aware of, all the things that we should be trading on, all the things that we should that we should use to create a, a market outlook and then act upon that market outlook. Uh, if you can divorce yourself from that, and I think the way to do that is with mindfulness practice, with a regular 10, 15 minutes a day staring at a wall or close, you know, eyes closed feet planted in front of yourself, hands, you know, one hand and the other hand in your lap sort of a thing, just quietly contemplating and, and watching your breath and notice when your mind gets distracted and then bring it back to your breath. And then notice when your mind gets distracted and bring it back to your breath. Cause that's what the media is. It's a distraction. It's a distraction from your financial success. The more you listen to headlines and, and radio stories and podcasts, and they tell you to be afraid, you will be afraid. And if you can avoid that fear response, you'll be far better off. Beautiful. All right, everyone. Mindful investing, right focus, better outcome, greater well-being by Jonathan Dio. Anything we haven't touched upon that you really, really want everybody to know? Well, I mean, many people ask that question at the end of a podcast. And I, and I always just like to sort of summarize everything that I believe in sort of this three things, right? It's it's um, um, stop predicting, start planning, stay mindful. And how could people find you? Yeah, mindful.money. There's no .com, there's no .org. It's just mindful.money. Uh, and you can find all the, the books, the courses, the, you know, the, the, the planning support, the advisory support, the, the membership, everything is right there. Beautiful. Thank you for taking the time and being with us. Thank you very much. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye. Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, and decrease depression. Dr. Fujian Zane's awareness integration theory has helped thousands like you get incredible life-changing results. The Fujian app gives you her evidence-based treatment in the palm of your hand. Download today.